Hello, everyone, and welcome to episode 327 of So You Want to Be a Writer. My name's Valerie Koo, and I'm CEO of the Australian Writer Centre, where we have a wonderfully supportive writing community and lots of fantastic writing courses. And I'm here with my co-host, Alison Tate, also known as A.L. Tate, author of the popular Mapmaker Chronicles and Adaban Cypher series. How are you, Al? I'm okay, Val. I'm yes? in. The, I'm in the fair to middling kind of realm, which okay. is not a bad place to be. I don't think at the moment. I have to say, I am starting to get a little bit tired. Why? Of, oh, I'm just you know, like I've been. I think okay with all the sort of staying home stuff. I think mm. what I realised is I thought I didn't go out very much until I couldn't go out, and then I realised oh. that actually I do go out. More than I thought right. I went out, if you know right. what I'm saying. But more to the point, everyone else goes out and that makes a big difference in my life. But anyway, here we are and so we well, truck on. Yeah. Well, I thought that I didn't go out much and I realised that I didn't go out much. <laughs> so oh, really? It made very little difference to my life. That is hilarious. <laughs> that is so funny. But, you know, we had um, – so we had a, like we've had a pretty busy sort of a week, not because of what I'm doing, although I have to say, so the Your Kids Next Read – uh, Facebook group, you know, 30 books in 30 days giveaway mm. is, is, is finishing up finally. And I have to say that I had no idea when I started that particular little project, you know, you know, 30 days, you go, yeah, yeah, that's going to be so great and 30 mm. different books and lots mm. of giveaways and heaps of promotion for Australian authors and, you know, blah, blah, blah. And then you realise how long 30 days actually is. Right, And it's just yeah. been like this every single day thing. I, You know, like I think when you're part of a of a uh, group, part of a Facebook community and stuff like that, you can take for granted the, you know, the, the, the ongoing, you know, feel of that group. But yeah. it actually takes a huge amount of work behind the scenes. Um, oh, it does. To actually maintain the integrity of a group and the feel of a group and, the, you know, and you don't realise all of that stuff until you sort of suddenly have 11,000 members and you're like, whoa, mm. this is like trying to be the mayor of a, <laughs> of a small town. So true. Um, mm, but without a police force. So, you know, like it's, it's, a, it's without a, fairly, a police force. I like that. <laughs> it's a fairly interesting, interesting situation sometimes. So yeah, so that's been, look, it's been really good. Like, so I've had that ongoing and, um, and then of course, book boy, had his uh, festival on the his online music. Oh festival, yes, how did that go um, on the on the weekend? Well, it was a very very busy week. Like honestly, it's um, it's been an interesting thing because he 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 was doing like two radio interviews a day there at wow. one stage, and uh, you know playing here uh, you know on the radio. Obviously, he did a he did a live performance via Zoom. <laughs> for the radio, for the local radio station That's on so Friday. Cool. So that was interesting um, from his bedroom. Um, but, yeah, so it was, uh, it's was. it been a really interesting week. The thing that I found actually really interesting about it from my perspective as, mm -hmm. a, as an observer was just the way that uh, these uh, kids, because, you know, he organised, so he's 16, he organised it with his friend Hannah, uh, Hannah Brooks, who's 19, um, just the way that they used the technology um, mm -hmm. in really interesting ways. And I had not considered, you know, the possibilities of some of the things that they did before. But, of course, they were just like, yeah, we're going to do this and I'm going to interview this guy live on Instagram on Thursday night. And I'm like, 
how are you going to do that? And it's like, well, you start the live and they request to join and suddenly there you both are, split screen, having a mm. chat, um, and, you know, both of your audiences are invited to the live and, and there's a lot of possibilities in that for ah. um, for authors, you know, going forward, I, yes. I thought. So I'm sort of exploring some of those things because I'm going to have a go at them myself to see yeah. what the, the impact of that is. I'm really interested in doing some um, – author interviews and things like that uh, yeah. via those kinds of mediums. We're thinking about trying to work that into our Facebook group, into Your Kids Next Read, because ah. I feel like that's something that we can utilise. Like it's just, a, I, I guess, a matter of looking at ways to kind of uh, use some of those things that are not difficult. That's the thing that I find really interesting about it because I think you think it's really hard, but in actual mm. fact it's not difficult. The thing that I have had to get over and have done probably over the last couple of years is just my hatred of video, of, of appearing <laughs> on film or appearing, you know, like I'm not good at But I I think I have to say I think that coronavirus has been great for me from that perspective because I have just watched everybody just get on, do yep. their thing, mm. au naturel, not really yep. worried too much about, you know, whether or how they look. Um, mm. And I've realised that I don't care. I'm not judging them because they're, they're mm. not sort of like perfectly made up and looking like they're on TV because I understand that they're at home and they're doing their thing. Um, and so it's made me realise that all of those barriers that I put up for myself are my own construct. They are nothing Absolutely. to do with the people who are watching um, because I'm watching those people for what they can tell me, what they can share with me, what they can, you know, the, I'm, I'm watching them because I'm interested in what they have to say, mm. not whether they're wearing last week's T-shirt and, you know, <laughs> whether the dog wanders across the, the video. So, you know, I feel like that's kind of stuff's been really interesting. Um, so, yeah, so watching the kids do their thing with the social media aspect of what of their of their festival mm. um, has really opened my eyes up to some of the possibilities. So, there you go. That was a very yeah. long-winded intro. But hi, everyone. I'm fair to middling. <laughs> and, of course, I think that that is such – that's so important for people, particularly right now, especially authors and emerging authors, aspiring authors, to build your author platform um, using some of these tools like Instagram Live and like Facebook Live and so on. Uh, definitely. And, you know, the other thing I have to say, like, so with the Build Your Author Platform course that, you know, obviously is available through the Writer's Centre, um, there's a section in that and I, having observed, you know, these kids in action plus also, you know, the various, you know, things I've been watching, I have to say that I think that the section in there on how to be interviewed mm. is probably has become as emerging as one of the more important sections in the entire course because I, I you can see the difference between people who have thought about what they're going to say, thought, had a little practice, you know, that sort of stuff, um, prepared themselves compared to the people who who haven't. And I think it's um, it's something that look, not many people think about how to be interviewed. And I think it's no, it's probably becoming more and more and more important all the time. Um, but anyway, that's, that's just my thought. Oh, no, absolutely. And, of course, if you want to check out um, Alison's fantastic course, Build Your Author Platform, go to Writer's Centre com.au slash platform and it's not only being interviewed um you know verbally al it's mm. also because we interview sometimes people um through a q a on a blog post so you yeah. don't necessarily have to interview them in a conversation on the phone or whatever we can send them questions and i will admit sometimes we get uh some answers and <laughs> you need to think about how you come across when you answer mm -hmm. so one of australia's 
quite famous writers slash editors. We, you know, sent her um, questions where it was like, you know, who, I can't remember the exact question, but it was something like, oh, who would be one of your role models um, and, and why? And then the answer was my mother. And then the next question was, can you tell us a bit about your writing process? And it would, and the reply was, um, I sit down and write. <laughs> like oh. that, they, the, the answers were shorter than the questions. Put oh, it this way. Oh. <laughs> and oh my. like the, the collective answer for the entire, the, the collective number of words for the entire thing might have been, you know, 20 words. Mm. And that just wasn't going to let get people to buy your book. <laughs> no, no, definitely not. Definitely it probably not. make people think you're nuts. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe a little bit, yes. Yes. Anyway, um, so as we are all working for home, we want to point everyone to a cute post that's on the Australian Writers Centre blog uh, where the um, where the, our team share our useful tips for working from home because, of course, at the Australian Writers' Centre, we no longer are working together in an office. We're all working from home during this period. We're getting really adept at Zooming each other. All of our pets are photobombing our conversations. And so there's a bunch of tips um, in this post from our team uh, which are a little bit tongue-in-cheek, like Nat suggests rationing out your cookies on Sunday for the whole week. <laughs> but, but the headline on that is preparation, 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 which is important. Yes, it's, true. My, it's not just about your cookies. It's about actually yes. figuring out what it is you have to do that week and working out when you're going to do it. So, you know, like it, it's – Sometimes we have these huge big things that need to be done and when you're at home, particularly at the moment when no one seems to know what day it is, like um, Book Boy Junior says to me this morning, we went for a walk, he goes, what day is it, Mum? Yeah. I'm like, it's Friday. And he goes, oh, yay, it's nearly the weekend. And I'm like, yeah, yeah which will be exactly the same as yesterday. But, um, but, you know, just when you have a when, – when time feels infinite like it does at the moment, it's actually even more important to – chunk it down and make sure that you've got the routine sorted and prepare mm. the timetable for the week as well as the cookies, I think, don't you? So true, so true. Ra has suggested to dress to impress um, and she really does. She says every day is an opportunity to be fabulous. Rainbows, sequins, furry coats, a pilot's cap, I've done it all. I admit the feather boa was a bit itchy but the team loved it and she does. She's even bought herself online a pom-pom maker and a hot glue gun so she can create other hot glue gun interesting that's what props. we all need in our lives <laughs> now again okay so it's hilarious and feather boas might be taking you a bit far but the the underlying tip here which is get out of your pajamas yeah whether you slip on a feather boa or what doesn't really matter but like mm. get up and get dressed and this is the other thing that I'm that I'm also doing with my boys because of course they've got nowhere to go so they so we bought we bought Book Boy Junior a onesie because he was desperate for a onesie. Like he's thirteen. Like what do you do, right? So <laughs> I went looking. We went looking for a onesie. We finally found one that didn't look like a bear with ears and stuff. Although I would have personally gone with that because I think he would have looked very cute. But anyway, we got this onesie, and he has been in this thing day and night for the last week since he's had this onesie. And I said to him the other day, "Dude, you got to get out of the onesie." Like you know, like he will, he will 
wear the onesie. He will get up in the morning, put the onesie on because he likes to sleep in his undies, but that's a whole other story. Then he will put the onesie on and then he will take the onesie off to go and, you know, go for a run or go for a scoot or do whatever he's going to do for his exercise for the day. He will return home. He will put the onesie back on. He will have a shower. He will return to the onesie. And I'm like, you've got to get out of the onesie. So he said to me, I think you need to get me a daytime onesie and a nighttime onesie oh. and then I can just swap onesies. But the pyjama thing is really important. I, I get up every day and get out of my pyjamas. It's really, really important. And Imbi Neem, who is a debut author, she's got a book yes. coming out I think in July. She won the Penguin Literary Prize last year or the year before. She's got this fantastic thing going on Instagram where she is is – is like sharing her working from home outfit for the day. And oh. she has been, yeah, no, it's fantastic. It's actually a really good thing. So she's wearing, you know, she's in a tiara one day and she's got a, you know, she's got this full array of outfits and they're all, you know, highly amusing things. But I like the premise of mm. let's make it a bit special because otherwise you don't know what day it is. If you're in your pajamas 24 seven, you're going to lose track of time. So true. So true. Um, uh, Dean has really useful tips like <laughs> um, so the heading is plan in advance and his top tip is don't have kids says Dean a proud father of three <laughs> yeah well you know I, <laughs> I know it's a you know hindsight is a wonderful thing and it's difficult to retrofit this one but whoa he's not wrong <laughs> oh dear I'm having fun with zoom backgrounds I put pictures of my cat up <laughs> uh, I don't know how to do that yet. My Zoom, oh, my Zoom you. tips are not. Yeah, I'm gonna, I'm gonna need a little bit of assistance on that because I haven't yeah. got there yet with my Zoom technology. But you know, I'm, a, I'm aspiring. It's good to learn new <laughs> things, right? When you're anyway, in lockdown. <laughs> if you want to see the post, it's over on the um, Australian Writers Centre blog. Um, so writerscentre.com.au/blog, and you'll also see a screenshot of all of us in Brady Bunch format. Um, <laughs> talking to each other on Zoom, many of us with Zoom backgrounds. All right, so um, our next link is one on your site. Oh, yes. Yeah. So I've got a great guest post on mm-hmm. my on my blog this week um, from Helen Shura. I think that's how you pronounce it. I'm sorry if I got it wrong. Could be Shura. But it's S-C-H-E-U-E-R-E-R. Um, mm-hmm. She's a best-selling YA fantasy author and she has a new um, book out at the moment called Dawn of Mist, which is a prequel to her best-selling fantasy series, which is um, the Mist series. Heart of Mist is the first one. But mm-hmm. uh, the post is five questions to ask yourself before writing a series and it's a very good post and Mm. if you are considering writing series fiction of any kind um, it's definitely worth having a look it's at alisontate.com now as I said when I wrote the intro to this post for some authors writing a series is a lifelong held dream for Mm. others like me it's something that you kind of stumble into and then you (laughs) flail about wildly hoping it's all going to work out for you so we've uh, we're running this post in an effort to help you avoid the flailing because some of these questions Mm. are seriously things that um like when I embarked upon writing the Mapmaker Chronicles I had never written for children and I had never written series and these are questions I should have asked myself before I started um as it you know, it all turned out for the best. It all turned out yeah. incredibly well. But still, mm. questions like, does my story warrant a series? Is your story big enough for a series? And if you're going to write a series, particularly like a fantasy series, you are looking for a big 
story. There is no yes. point in stretching a narrative across multiple books if it doesn't serve the story. Like it's a really important thing to work out whether or not this this story that you want to tell is big enough and colourful enough to warrant multiple books. Maybe it's a one book thing. Maybe it's a standalone. The next question is, am I a reader of series? Mm. Now, I am a reader of series. I love a series because if I like a book, I want more. If I love a character, I want more. So that's yeah. kind of like, um, that's you know. So, but you need to familiarise yourself with this, this, the common, the, the constructs, the common and popular structures of the format. Even if you're only learning the rules to break them later, you need to understand how series fiction works before you can start um, writing it. And it's about sort of structure and pace structure and pace, structure and pace. And it's 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 kind of like it's that whole thing of epic fantasy looks like this, you know, amazing ride of, you know, completely creative, you know, bloody magic stuff, all stuff going on. But underneath it, it is like the foundations are serious. It is structure and pace. So you need to learn how that works, you know, and how many books are you going to write? Because your stories. You know, each book in your series has to have its own structure and pace, and then your entire narrative arc need over you know three books or five books or ten books or how many books you're doing needs its own structure and pace. Mm. Like it's a it's a big thing. You need to create a very vivid world if you're going to write a lot of books. Um, you know, and then the question, other questions are, you know, is my plot substantial enough? Mm. Are my characters developed enough? You know, and is your character someone that you're that your reader is going to want to go through. Through like, a whole series, yeah. Yeah, like you could yeah. be talking up to half a million words here. Does your mm. character warrant that and are you ready to do it? And then she's also got some bonus tips for writing a series, which are great. And one of those is something that I actually did a lot of work on yesterday, which is to keep a series Bible, which is yes. a document that keeps track of the details of your world and characters. Who, you know, who's related to who, where do they live, what are their powers, how does it work? And you need this, trust me, because I'm working on a second book at the moment mm. and I'm finding myself going, oh, wait a minute, where did they live, who did they belong to, what happened yeah. here, what's the relationship? So I'm constructing my series Bible as I go. So Especially really if you've got different words for things. Like if it's, yes. you know. What yeah. does the mm. word mean? What language do people speak? Like in the Mapmaker Chronicles, I had like for several different languages going on and mm. I had to keep track of who spoke what so that they could speak to each other without problems. Mm. And it's not easy. So you need a Bible. Yeah. Yeah, really good post and go check it out at Alison's website at alisontate.com. But we'll put the link in the show notes as well, of course, for everything that we mention in this episode. And you can find that at soyouwanttobeawriter.com.au. All right, so let's move on to our... Uh, giveaway this week, we have three copies of The Cobra Queen by Tara Moss. In the months since Pandora English left the small town of Gretchenville to live with her mysterious great aunt in a supernatural Manhattan suburb, her whole world has been turned upside down. Pandora has discovered she is the chosen one, the seventh daughter of a seventh daughter, and during the impending revolution of the dead, she alone will have the power to save all life as we know it. Pandora is given the chance to find out what happened to her parents all those years ago, but first she must put her own supernatural gifts to the test. And of course, uh, Tara um, is the author of um, the previous Pandora English books like The Blood Countess, Sp The Spider Goddess and Skeleton Key, and this is the latest 
in the series. Um, it's set in New York, uh, so it's not like this whole completely other world. It's an unusual version of uh, of New York, and um, it's a great book. All right, so oh, I have to tell you how you can win. You have to you go to writercenter.com.au slash win and follow the instructions there. You have until uh, the 27th of April and we have three copies to give away. That's writercenter.com.au slash win. So, Al. Yeah. Are you ready for the word of the week? <clears throat> oh, I've never been more ready, really. Okay, good. So it's kayfabe. K-A-Y-F-A-B-E, so if afraid, K-Fabe. It's a real word. Is it? Yeah. No, never, never heard of it. It's good, never. isn't it? Oh, it's great. <laughs> it's really great. Okay, <laughs> Fabe. Yeah. That's like something you'd say. So thank you for, Dean, for the heads up on this word. It's an unusual word, but it's a real one. And it refers to the idea that wrestlers should stay in character through their performances and public appearances and so on. So you know how like when you um, have that meeting before the, you have like a press conference or something before the actual match and they go nose to nose with each other and they're all aggro, well, they're in character, right? So that is an example of kayfabe where they are remaining in character to, you know, basically for the benefit of the public, the kind of character that they would have in the ring. Kayfabe. Kayfabe. There you go. Kayfabe. Okay. So, uh, who is our writer in residence this week, Al? Oh, this is great. So, this is um, another interview in our debut author series uh, that we have going on to help promote. Australian authors whose, you know, book launches and things have all been cancelled thanks to coronavirus. And this week we are talking to Danielle Binks. And it's a really interesting interview because, of course, as well as being an author, Danielle is also a literary agent. So we had a great old chat about various aspects. Um, Now, her book, The Year the Maps Changed, is out on the 28th of April. Um, And so we're talking about it like it's already out there because it's it's available for pre-order and um, I hope you guys will, you know, get behind it. So here's Danielle Binks. Danielle Binks is a Melbourne-based writer, reviewer, agent, book blogger and youth literature advocate. In 2017, she edited and contributed to Begin, End, Begin, an anthology of new Australian young adult writing inspired by the Love OzYA movement, which won the Arbia Book of the Year for Older Children and was shortlisted in the 2018 Gold Inky Awards. The Year the Maps Changed is Danielle's debut middle grade novel and it's out now with Ashet Australia in 2020. Well, this is 2020. Um, so <laughs> that was my best radio interview, um, my best radio interview intro there, Danielle. How did you feel about that? It was very good. I'm very impressed. Well done, brother. Right, until I got to the end and lost it. Um, anyway, so let's talk about your novel. Can you tell me through, mm-hmm. talk me through the backstory of your debut novel, The Year the Maps Changed, which is mm-hmm. out now. What is it all about and where did the idea come from? So the novel is set in 1999, which pretty quickly I had to grapple with the fact that that makes it historic fiction, Uh, even though I actually chose that to make it middle grade because I myself, much like my protagonist Fred in the book, I was 11 going on 12 in 1999. Uh, So it was very hard for me to come to terms with the fact that that makes me ancient. Um, (laughs) 
But basically, it's about this period in Australia's history to do with Operation Safe Haven, which was when the Howard era government gave temporary sanctuary to the refugees of the Kosovo War at the height of the NATO bombings. And what they did was they bought over 4,000 Kosovo Albanian refugees and they bought them to um, eight different safe havens in five locations around Australia. And one of those locations was at the very tip of Point Nepean down here on the Mornington Peninsula in Victoria. And the thing is, I grew up in the Mornington Peninsula. It's where I still live. And when I was 11 going on 12, I vaguely remembered this event unfolding pretty much on my back door. And it's just a little piece of history that stuck with me. And then about five years ago, I decided to re-examine it just because it was sort of niggling at the back of my mind. And as I started delving into it, I thought, there's a story here. There's a story here about a moment in time when Australia kind of did the right thing while also laying down a blueprint for the way we currently treat refugees and asylum seekers, which is horrendously. And I thought there's a story in that about a kind of young country in many ways, fumbling their way through a humanitarian crisis. And at the same time, a young girl realizing her place in the global community from this event that comes pretty much to her back door. And also as she comes of age. So it evolved from memory basically, and true story inspired by real events is the very tricky answer to that question. No, no, it's a, it's a great answer because I think, you know, we often talk about the fact that, you know, uh, ideas are often a lot closer to home than people realise yeah. sometimes, I think, and it's about sort of delving. I mean, I always encourage kids to keep journals and I encourage, you know, and when I talk about journals, it's not, you know, today I got up and, had a had breakfast and went yeah. to school. And mind you, went to school is historic fiction now too. At the moment, anyway. Um, <laughs> but yeah, like just you know, it, but but about that those small you know things that you that strike you from that day, and and then those things can then become stories. But from that first idea, what was the actual writing process for the novel? Like, is it was it something that you um, you know, as you say, it's from memory and stuff. So did you have a basic, I mean, your memories and turning those into the narrative mm. arc of someone else, a character, mm. what is the process for that? It was a long process. It was a five-year-long process of writing and researching and editing. And and from the very beginning, I, I firstly struggled with deciding whether or not to set the book close to home and whether or not to make it young adult or middle grade. And for a long time in the very beginning, for a very long time, I thought, no, I have to write YA because everyone knows that I love YA and I'm going to set it somewhere like New South Wales, just so it's out of my way. It's a little bit more distance between me and the, and the real story. But then at some point, I think my character of Fred, her voice just came through to me and I wrote the prologue and the prologue pretty much didn't change in five years. It's what, what the prologue is, was my blueprint for the whole story because it's a little bit of Fred looking back at the end of the story at the very beginning. And I thought that's my blueprint for how I'm going to go forward. So once I decided that, no, I'm going to lean into the fact that I'm the same age as Fred was in 1999 and I'm going to set it close to home and I'm going to try and do justice to where I grew up. Once I decided that, and it took a long time to decide that and to be okay with that decision, then I really hunkered down and took everything that I 
studied and researched and I did research in terms of like I, I, I traveled out to Singleton in New South Wales and I went to their library where they had wonderful, wonderful archives from their newspapers of their time as a safe haven. So I really I, I kind of traveled around looking for research to help me fill out the story a little bit as well. And in doing so I can no longer tell you what is my memory and what is research and what is fiction. It all kind of blends together after five years. Mm. So yeah, that was my, that was the kind of start, the kickoff. So was the first draft a five-year process or was the first draft, like talk, talk to me about how long it actually took you to draft it. I know you were doing research and, and all of that sort of thing, but the actual drafting of it, yeah. that first draft. So I actually found that, I mean, I never thought I would write historic fiction for one thing. That was never, if, if I went back to when I first started dabbling in my own writing, I was doing a lot of Twilight fan fiction. Mm. So I was writing a lot of, actually one of the people I went to RMIT and studied professional writing and editing with, she DM'd me recently and said, hey, remember when you were writing that werewolf story? Um, So for a long time, my writing was very fantastical and paranormal and romance. So I never thought that the first thing I would write would be middle grade, let alone historic fiction, Mm. contemporary in a lot of ways. Um, So what I did was, I realized that writing historic fiction, one of the pros of that is that you have a timeline you have to stick to. So I'm not a, I'm not a, a plotter. I'm very much a pantser. That's the way that I write is I like to kind of just fly by the seat of my pants. But I realized with historic fiction, it gave me a little bit of a grid to work to because there were particular events that I had to hit my marks on for mm. dramatic effect. So mm-hmm. that was really good for me was that I had to map out all of the big dramatic moments based in real life that I wanted to hit. So for a long time I had that plot, but I still had to pants it because I can't write any other way except waiting for a character to come along and tap me on the shoulder and say, here's what I'm going to do. So I had the plot vaguely worked out only because I had the history worked out, which was a pro of setting it 20 years ago, 20 odd years ago. Mm. Uh, But the actual pantsing of it, I probably actually wrote the thing in a fever in about three months. Um, so it was very much doing a lot of research and I probably tricked myself for too long thinking that research was writing when I should have really been writing. Mm. Uh, and then towards the end when I just thought, I just have to get this out of me now. It's re- it's ready. I, I know the whole story in my head and I really did. I wrote the rest of it pantsing completely in a fever in about three months time. All right. So you've studied, um, professional writing and editing and you've previously Mm -hmm. edited and contributed to an anthology so you've had that you know short story what do you think that sort of experience taught you about writing a novel oh gosh so I did professional writing and editing but before I did that I also studied communications with a major in journalism Ah. uh, which is why in my book there's a lot of um there's a lot of respect for the news and engaging with the news as young people. So there's a lot of the kids reading the newspaper, listening to the radio, watching the news and the TV. Uh, and I think my start in editing started with journalism and it started with two words that one lecturer said to us one day, which was Jesus wept. Mm. And he said, those are the most powerful words in the entire Bible. And it's not, you know, Jesus cried rivers of tears down his tear stained mm. cheeks mm. and all this sort of stuff. Yeah. Jesus wept. He said, less is more get to the point and get to it quickly, Jesus wept. Uh, And I myself am not terribly religious, but that stuck with me forevermore. And it's what I take with me when I do editing now. Mm. It's less is more, less Mm. is more. Um, 
I can't say that I'm great at editing myself as well as I am other people. I think that's a blind spot for me. I, it, it's very hard for me to kill your darlings. But when I edit other people, I do like to have – I kind of edit as though I'm an audience watching a movie trailer and I always compare the trailer to what the story ends up being. So I always love being sent a synopsis just so I can – I think people often in a synopsis – tell you more what their intentions are. And then sometimes they go off the rails in the actual delivery of it. Mm. So I always come back to synopsis, which is also, again, a little bit of me as an editor preferring a plotter to a panther, which mm. I know goes against everything yeah. in my own in my own practice, but there you go. But I always love a synopsis to show me what a person intended to do. And then I think the actual manuscript itself is, did they deliver on it? And, and I also think that's a great way to talk to writers because you can sort of say to them, you had the right ideas. You know what you were wanting to do because you hit all those marks in the synopsis. And a synopsis, I should say, it reveals spoilers and all. It, it's an, Here's the entire story arc, generally, is what I asked for in a synopsis, being one page. So I'm, I'm very much somebody who treats it like I'm going to watch a movie trailer and then I hope that the movie is as good as the trailer promised and it better deliver. Uh, so that's the way I edit is with Jesus wept and with a kind of <laughs> I'm an audience member, see a movie yeah. kind of brain thinking. Okay. So given your work um, also as a literary agent, was there anything mm-hmm. about the – I'm going to get to the deal in a minute for how you actually came to, to be published. But was mm-hmm. there anything about the publishing process that surprised you, like once you were actually – the person under the spotlight as the author, so to speak? Only that I am as neurotic as any author, (laughs) I think. Um, You thought you were going to be different, didn't you? (laughs) Yeah, I really did. That's so funny. all of the good advice I've ever given to my authors, which is generally don't panic, I can't take that on board myself. Mm. I think it is because, especially with this book, with any book generally, but with this one in particular, because it's so close to home for me, quite literally, and my own childhood, quite literally, you're offering a slab of yourself up on the plate. And Mm. it's really hard to be chill about that, (laughs) for want of a better expression. Uh, So, yeah, I, I was surprised that, like all my authors, I went through waves of thinking, nobody's going to like this. Nobody's going to read this. That could very well happen now, but nobody's going to, to, to let me write anything ever again. I've bastardized the English language. I can't do this. Uh, just spiraling in my own head. And much as authors come to me with those worries and I'm the person who can say to them, calm down, here's the reality. Let me just bring you back down and tether you to the real world for a second. Um, I find that I, I very well could have somebody doing that for me, being Jacinta, who, who actually runs the agency I work for. But I find that because I think I should, I should just go it alone. I'm an agent and an author. I've got this. I find myself spiraling in my own head a little bit more, Mm. but more often than not, I'm able to give myself a reality check eventually saying, Hey, you sound a lot like so-and-so who you just talked down last week. So once I can sort of do that, but yeah, the thing that surprised me the most was that all authors are neurotic, even those who are also agents who are used to talking down neurotic authors. Um, <laughs> and I say that with a great deal of affection. I love neurotic authors. I think, like I said, I think it's, I think it's a signifier that somebody has put a lot of themselves into a piece of work if they get really emotional about how it's going to be received. But I was surprised that I couldn't 
handle that in myself every time. <laughs> Did you? So let's talk about how the how your book, uh, the year the mm-hmm. maps changed, came to be published. Um, mm-hmm. Did you act for yourself in organising the deal with the shed, or did you get someone else involved? And I'm only asking as I'm wondering how important you think third party mm-hmm. input is. Oh, okay. So uh, when I initially pitched, I pitched myself, and I pitched myself horribly. I pitched a half finished manuscript, which you should never do. And did you pitch um, it widely? Like, did you send no, it out widely? No. Okay. I, I didn't. I sent it. I hadn't. I was very lucky as an agent. I had an idea in my head of the editors who I wanted to work with, okay. which isn't to say that all editors in Australia for youth literature aren't wonderful. Mm. I just thought that this was uh, what I was writing was a quieter book and it was maybe going to be taken by some editors as this is a quiet novel, which is kind of code for it's contemporary. Mm. Uh, it's It doesn't have dragons. It doesn't have werewolves like I was once upon a time going to write. Uh, it doesn't have magic, which is what middle grade has a lot of. Uh, it's not genre. So I just kind of thought lots of editors are going to think this is a quiet book. So I kind of knew the editors who were looking for more literary middle grade fiction who would take on board a quiet book and let it do its own thing. So I kind of had two editors in mind and I pitched to those two. Mm-hmm. And one of them, the one that I ended up going with, Kate, the wonderful Kate Stevens from, from Hachette, who also came up with the title for my book, which I'm forever grateful for. Mm, it's well a great as title just, and it's oh. a beautiful cover as well. I really love the yes, cover. Yes, that is Astrid Hicks yeah, of Astrid gorgeous. Cherry Design. Wonderful. So she was the editor who didn't want me to change one of the big aspects of the book being uh, Fred's family life. Mm -hmm. She really could see why I was writing um, the story of these refugees coming to Point Nepean alongside the story of Fred's coming of age. So she doesn't, she didn't tell me to cut back on Fred's story, which I really loved Mm. um, because this is very much also a family story, even as there's a global crisis happening. It's also about how a family responds to that, Mm. which I thought was really important because I'm trying to talk about how, you know, it's the year the maps change and it's this, this idea of you have your little corner of the world, but please know that the, the stuff that you do in your little corner of the world has repercussions mm. around the world, which, yes, is very interesting to have written that in the year 2020. Um, mm. So she was the editor who got that. And I thought, I want this book to come out with you. And I have felt safe and secure in that decision ever since. Just as much as I felt safe and secure in once knowing she wanted it, I tapped out and said, Jacinta's going to tap in and do the negotiation for me. So So that was great. Yeah, that was great because by that point I had no bargaining chips because I just wanted her as my editor. So I had to take myself out of the equation and say I need somebody to come in who has a more level head who can just – get the contract done so I I completely took myself out of the contract equation uh and brought Jacinta in which was again very wise decision I think okay so I think for me one of the most difficult aspects of being both an agent and an author would be um you know you're reading a lot of other people's work and a lot of other people's voices and a lot of other people's ideas Mm. um and then you're sort of like working on your own stuff or, or trying to and also just that whole thing of like oh, my God, this is so amazing and is my work, you know, good and all of those sorts of things. How do you keep those things separate? I didn't for a long time. So I I joined Jacinta in 2016. I became an agent and 
that was a big reality check for me as well because I did, as you say, I started to see just the level of where first draft manuscripts were at for some authors, both seasonal, seasoned authors and debut authors. And I thought, wow, I have to really get my manuscript into shape because this is what actually gets through to publishers. And even some manuscripts that were so polished and so wonderful, even they didn't get up. So it was a real reality check for me in 2016 when I I got to see a whole different side to the industry from being an agent. Um, And I guess I was also working on building up my author list and actually pitching work. So from 2016, when I started agenting, which was also when I started working on this idea for the year the maps changed, I think a lot of what I was learning stopped me from hitting send too quickly. Mm. Uh, because, you know, there probably was a part of me that thought, oh, I wonder if publishers are still doing that thing of acquiring a, a manuscript based on really liking an author's prologue uh, and a promise that I'll finish it in a year. And it, and becoming an agent was the reality check of that doesn't happen anymore. Right. Um, sorry to tell you. No, no. I th- but I think that that's <laughs> – I think that's um... – it's really important for people to know that because it's, yeah. it's one of the things that I think, and everyone does it. Like it's uh, this mm. is like every new writer does it. We have mm. all at some point submitted something way too early. All of us undercooked. Yeah, absolutely. Undercooked, yeah, and mm-hmm. I, so, but maybe you can explain to um, to all the to to our listeners like what does it look like? What when you, people get the advice to polish a work until it shines? before submitting like what does that mean what does it look like so particularly working in youth literature I always like to know if young people of the target audience have read it uh and that does mean not just if you have a child yourself who's age eight between eight and twelve for middle grade that they read your middle grade manuscript that's the question of did you get their friends to read it did you get any relatives who are that age to read it? A little bit more distant cousins, maybe. Um, those questions of who else has kicked the tires on this thing. Yeah. I really, I really like to know who else has read it, uh, particularly those who write. I would say, in a hope they write minor and secondary characters from diverse backgrounds. And if that's the case, then I wonder has anybody from that diverse background read it to yeah. see that you have represented their you know their culture correctly uh and I always get really concerned when people submit me manuscripts with a protagonist from a diverse background that the author themselves do not share and then I'll I'll throw words at them like own voices and we need diverse books and if they stare at me blankly I think you haven't done enough research in this um so over the last few years since I started agenting certainly that's been a huge consideration and I'm always floored at the number of authors who I'm telling them for the first time that there has been this huge grassroots movement in youth literature of we need diverse books and own voices which is authors who share a minority cultural background writing from that background as well um and if if somebody has done that who doesn't share the background of their protagonist I'm always really concerned and I pretty much put a stop to it straight away and say look I'm not prepared to even read this until you get somebody to do a do a it's called a sensitivity read yeah. uh, but it's I'm also hearing it called an authenticity read yeah um because sensitivity would suggest from the get-go that you don't try writing from a perspective that's not your own without understanding the entire, like I said, cultural movement around it right now and youth literature in particular. Mm. Um, so all those sorts of things. It, a lot of my 
kicking the tires has to do with who else has read this. Okay. And mm-hmm. what what will make us what makes a manuscript stand out for you? Like in the sense of like you know if I'm an author and I'm looking for an agent, mm-hmm. what kinds of things are going to make you go, okay, I need to read more of this? It sounds so obvious, but I also take this on board as an author. I'm somebody who loves a killer first line and a really great prologue or chapter one. I'm actually not averse to prologues. There's a prologue in my book. Mm. I actually love a prologue if it's well written and short. Mm. Um, But I love a killer opening line that has some sort of hook in it from the very beginning. Uh, I do hate it when authors, when I, what I generally say is send me the first three chapters. And if somebody comes back to me and says, look, the action doesn't really start until chapter seven. Can I send you up until chapter seven? (laughs) I'll kind of say, why does the action happen on chapter seven, <laughs> which is page, which is page six 60? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Which is page 65. <laughs> Think about how you browse in a bookshop. When you pick up a book, you generally read the first page, maybe the second page, maybe you'll randomly turn to a, to a random page in the middle, but what thinking has you believing that a, that a, that a browsing person in a bookshop would pick up a book and on the blurb it says, I promise you it gets good in chapter seven. Like it just doesn't happen. No. Put that on, put, why, why do we need the first six chapters then? Why not start from chapter seven? And I'm also a really big fan of that idea of start as close to the action as possible. Mm. And as an editor, lots of, lot, a lot of time when I'm talking to my authors, a lot of my editing is always let's start it here which is often let's cut out the first 10 chapters, let's cut out the first 10 pages, let's get to the action quicker, yeah, yeah. especially if you're working in youth literature. Yeah. Um, just because, like, if my attention is not kept for the first six chapters, why would you ask an eight-year-old kid who could be playing video games, who could be skateboarding outside, hopefully, who could be, you know, group chatting with their friends, why would you ask them to persevere through the first six chapters? It's just not going to happen. So I'm a really big fan of hook me from the, from the get go. And if I can just tell most authors, tell, like, tell me when your action starts and then give me a good reason why that can't be where the book starts as well. Yeah. Fair enough. All right. So your debut is coming out under different circumstances than you might've imagined. Like things have Mm -hmm. certainly changed over the last, um, you know, weeks and months. Mm-hmm. What are some of the things that you're putting in place to get the word out, to help get the word out? Like what are the sorts of strategies that you've had to read? Like you are having a good understanding of the industry, of publishing mm-hmm. in general, of, you know, the way things work. What are the things that you're doing to kind of help push the word out about your book? So online is going to be big and it's really interesting for me because way back when I started my book review blog in 2009 called Mm -hmm. Alpha Reader and it's still going to this day. So I was an early book blogger. I was somebody very early on in the industry who was getting free copies of books from publishers to review, particularly in the young adult space. So my book blog's been around since 2009 and from the get-go, I think for that reason, my publisher set up a book review tool that was going to kick off on April 27 and go until May 7, I believe, Mm. organized by the Oz YA bloggers Mm. and uh, Kelly over at Diva Book Nerd, who was an absolute legend. So because I've always been in the book blogging space, we were always going to target the book blogging space. Um, And now what's happened is, so book bloggers had to register if they were interested in reviewing the book. And I think there were 25 slots to receive free copies. Um, now though, I'm saying to them, 
anybody who wanted to review the book, who wants to do a and a with me, I'm here. Yeah. I don't care if you get a free book sent to you. I'll, I'll do anything with you. So it's definitely moved back into the book blogging space. Yeah. Um, I think book blogs and YouTube vloggers will be really big again as well, where they were kind of starting to uh, not, not recede in, in popularity, but certainly things like Instagram and Tumblr and, and TikTok probably in some capacity were taking over the the social book review space, mm. but now we're going to go back to it, which feels like a little bit retro, which kind of is in keeping with the whole 1999 setting that we're also going back to 2009 when I started book blogging. Mm. So I feel really comfortable in that space and I feel really comfortable saying to those book bloggers, hey, I've been doing this since 2009. I'm happy to go back to it. Yeah. Um, I also think Facebook Live will be a thing that we do to yeah. promote the book. Yeah. I mean, I was I was meant to have my very good fan, friend Carly Findlay launching me at readings in Carlton. I don't see that happening now, but Carly has said, you know, let's do a Facebook Live event together. Let's get dressed up because we both miss dressing up. Um, let's get dressed up and let's do something online and let's do Q&As and stuff. Yeah. So it'll move to an online space. Uh, I'm also very aware that lots of kids are going to be doing virtual classrooms yeah. and I think lots of parents and schools and everything will be looking to do virtual book clubs. I don't know bookshops are as well. Some really wonderful bookshops like Squishy Mini, The Younger Son, uh, Beachside Bookshop over in New South Wales. All of them are going to be thinking about virtual book clubs and I'm more than happy to get involved in that. And are so, you getting involved in those via like what technology, like via Zoom, via Skype, via what, what are you using to kind of I'm hearing, that. I'm hearing Zoom. I'm Zoom. hearing Zoom yeah, is the way to go. Everywhere. Yeah, yeah. I mean, if you had stocks in Zoom, I don't even know if Zoom is like a public. You can no, purchase. I have no idea. Massive. So Zoom is the way to go. Uh, the other thing, of course, is this: it's podcasts. It's talking mm. in people's ears. <laughs> it's. I think there's something. Com- there was always something comforting in podcasts. Anyway, I'm yeah. just listening to a bunch of people talking to you uh there's a storytelling element to it i hope i hope yeah. that that's coming across in this interview if oh, not i'm so, so sorry that i'm not our narrative <laughs> not is on fire danielle <laughs> and i feel like we're, we're zooming towards a, con- a climax right now it's going to be very oh, exciting action should, yeah, black yeah. moment it's all happening should we have started the podcast from this point? I'm so sorry of everything that came before. No, it you, was can't just... <laughs> start, you can't start at the climax. Like that's, no, that's true. That would that's be the true. world's shortest book ever. So yeah, well, that's, no. that's for short stories. No, that's that's like, short all, stories. Must be, all is soon going to be lost, all right? <laughs> <laughs> no, but, I mean, it's true. It's, it's podcasts are more important than ever. And thank goodness podcasts really took off a few years ago in such a huge way. Um, yeah, it's all of that. And, yeah. you know, as I've been telling my my children's authors especially, I've also had them thinking in terms of those of us who write children's books, those things are forever because we write them that way. Yeah. Um, and we will thankfully always have schools that in some amalgamation in the future we, we can go and visit. Mm. Schools will also will always be doing things like school talks and school assemblies and book clubs and workshops and some of them even run their own festivals. Um, we are very lucky as children's authors that we will have that audience forevermore mm. and that our books are an extension of us and mm. books really are magic and they are time travelers and they will last the test of time. They may not take off the way that we hoped they would at the very beginning with launch and huge sales spikes from, you know, release day. But I promise you all of those children's authors, these are steady, you know, we are steady sellers. 
we are people who are always here for kids. Kids will always reach for books and will always be encouraged to reach for books. So I'm not panicking about that. I am, though, looking out for bookshops right now and making sure that no, no one is left behind and that we can help as much as we can to drive sales to bookshops in some sort of capacity. Um, but I'm content and I'm accepting of the fact that we will talk about these books in the future. They will be there for years to come. We, we may not be having the fabulous launches that we hoped for and the spike in sales initially that we hoped for, but they are steady. They will be here forevermore. Okay. Kids will always be reading. It's okay. All right. Well, I think that was our climax right there. So now we can just slide down into the end of our story <laughs> with our soothing top three tips for writers. So Danielle Binks, author of, insert, The Year the Maps Changed. And where can mm-hmm. we find you online, Danielle, if people are looking for you? So I'm at daniellebinks.com. That's B-I-N-K-S. I'm also on Instagram as dbinks. And I'm on Twitter as Danielle underscore Binks. So you're, you're a bit like me where you picked up bits and pieces along the way as I did. This is what happens when you start in like 2009. This is what happens with, um, with your, with your um, social media. Like you start with one thing and then you add something else and then you add something else and they're not necessarily all the same. But anyway, what are your exactly. top three tips for writers, Danielle Binks? So I think I've already given a really good one, which is start as close to the action as possible. I never want to hear from an, from an author who sends me their manuscript, uh, I promise you it gets really good in Chapter 7. I never want to hear that. So yep. start as close to the action as possible. Yep. I would also say read widely. If you write middle grade, don't just read middle grade. I want you to be reading adult crime fiction. I want you to be reading uh, paranormal romance. I want you to be reading poetry. I think there is something to be learnt in every single medium and readership. Um, And the same goes for, you know, it's completely okay to get inspiration from watching television and movies. I think that's how you learn great uh, pacing and plot Mm -hmm. and dialogue. So read widely and read often. I I definitely can tell people who have maybe read a little bit too immersively in one genre or one readership mm-hmm. because it sounds like they're just sort of faintly copying and outlining other people's work okay. instead of going out and trying to find their own voice. And I think you find your own voice by reading widely and taking bits and pieces from everyone in some sort of way and then fusing them together to make it work for you. Mm-hmm. Uh, That's the two. Last... One more. Oh, gosh, one more. Uh, I'm going to say share your work. Mm. I'm going to say share your work. I am somebody who started out in fan fiction and I shared my work anonymously with strangers on the internet and that was a really wonderful precursor to sharing my work with uh, editors and marketing people and my my agent and fellow readers and young people. Share your work. Um, I think that could also sort of be the antidote to procrastination is if you have people who are expecting to read your work and to critique your work, you'll probably work on your work if you have people that are waiting to read it. So share your work, I would also say. Brilliant. Well, thank you so much for your time today, Danielle. Best of luck with your debut novel and um, we shall look forward to seeing how it all goes for you. Thank you so much for having me and uh, take care, everyone. 
This podcast is brought to you by the Australian Writers' Centre, a world leader in writing courses. If you'd like to write fiction for kids and teens, our five-week online course, How to Write for Children and Young Adults, will help you get there faster. Find your voice, create characters, dialogue and plots to fit your age group and write compelling stories that young readers will love, all in a couple of hours a week. You'll also enjoy the convenience of learning from anywhere and get your very own tutor providing personal feedback on your writing. Find out more at writerscentre.com.au slash children's author. There we go. Great interview with Danielle Binks and what a gorgeous cover that that her book has. It's just, I saw it um, on social media and I thought that is a cracker. Yeah, I have to say, I think I, I feel like um, Australian children's literature is going through a particularly beautiful purple mm. patch of covers at the moment. I just, there's so many gorgeous ones out there. And this one, the year the maps changed, you know, for someone like me who's got a bit of a thing for maps, um, mm. it's just gorgeous. Like it's a beautiful, beautiful cover. Um, and by all accounts, I've read some reviews and also I have several friends who've read it. Um, and it's apparently a very, very good book. So I'm really looking forward to reading it myself. Excellent. Yeah. All right. So I want to say a big thank you and shout out to all those people who cheered me on in my scone making adventure, which oh, we Alison and I spoke about word. last week. <laughs> that was hilarious. And you got so much support. I know. Thank you. And suggested, and thank you. suggested recipes. recipes. Thank the you. The Dewey Smith recipe. Who That's that? right. That Kathy Powell. Powell. Yeah, yeah thank that you one? for yeah. that. And for all of those people who DM'd me, a lot of my friends DM'd me, are you okay? <laughs> I told you that. Like for me it summed up coronavirus. was like, oh, no, Val is baking scones. The world they, is at an end. <laughs> they were delicious uh, and I probably will make them again. So I probably shouldn't make them too. I'm going to make them bigger this time because I think I made them too small. They were more like the little scones that you might get at high tea at a posh you know, hotel right. in England in the Cotswolds not that, or something like that. Um, right. But um, so they were quite tiny. But mm. I'm, so I'm going to make um, giant mutant ones just to see the difference right. next time. I'll let you know how I go. I'll, we'll I'll send you. All, we'll the all be looking forward to that. <laughs> I can't wait. All right. So what are you doing this coming week? I'll probably not making scones. Um, no, I am going through my proofread with my publisher. Um, oh, because, yeah, well, I actually did it myself a long time ago. I've got the hard copy version of it here, but because of the mail situation and because of the delays, oh. um, I was asked to hold on to it until the proofreader has finished. And then I'm going to go through the PDF version and check it against my changes or my, you know, my corrections. Um, and we're just going to do one marked up PDF version. So, you know, this is how coronavirus is changing us all. Um, so I'll be doing that. And I'm working on a new manuscript at the moment. I've started writing a new story. So I'm on Write a Book with Al showing the fits and starts of that because well, you know me, I do like to start in the wrong place. So I, I mm-hmm. wrote about, I don't know, two and a half thousand words and then I realised that I'd found the start of my story. So then I had to lop, you know, 2,000 yes. words off the front and go back. So it's a bit of a, you know, two steps forward, one step back at the moment. Um, but from here we just go forward and it's dribs and drabs. But the dribs and drabs are adding up and if you want to join me, um, it's hashtag write a book with Al. It's on uh, Facebook and Twitter when I remember. I'm not doing very well over there at the moment. Mm-hmm. But you will definitely find it on my Facebook page at Alison Tate Writer. So hope you can join me. What about you, Valerie? Are you painting? Making oh, my scones? goodness. Um 
I need to get some sleep because I haven't been getting enough of late. Um, I have been busy, of all things, um, mastering Adobe Illustrator. I know, weird, but that's been mm-hmm. my latest obsession. Mm-hmm. Okay. <laughs> but I shall be watching Killing Eve, as that has come on now, and also Mrs. Wilson, where, um, what's her name? I think her name's Ruth Wilson. She plays her grandmother in 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 um, a TV series. Right. Okay. Uh, so, yeah, that's probably what I'll be doing. <laughs> oh, and I'll be reading. I've got so many books. Oh, my God. I've got um, all of the books of the debut authors that we are um, that we will be interviewing in the coming weeks, so I have a bunch of uh, books as well. Great. There you go. So where do we find you online, Al? You'll find me at alisontait.com, A-L-L-I-S-O-N-T-A-I-T.com. You will find me on uh, where am I? I'm on Twitter at, at Al Tate, A L T A I D, and you will find me on Facebook and Instagram at Alison Tate Writer. And you, Valerie, where do we find you? You'll find me at Valerie Koo, that's K H O O, on uh, Instagram and Twitter, and over at ValerieKoo.com. And of course, you'll find all of the show notes at So You Want to Be a Writer.com.au. Thanks for listening, everyone, and we look forward to chatting to you again next time. Bye. Thanks for listening to So You Want to Be a Writer. You'll find the show notes at writerscentre.com.au slash podcast or sign up for our awesome and often hilarious weekly newsletter at writerscentre.com.au slash news where you'll find writing resources, giveaways, competitions and much more.